Just the ones from England. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Do we have listeners that are not in the UK? No, it's, it's everybody's UK. in the UK. Okay. Hello, governor. Hi. So, <laughs> Hi, Americans. What's the, what's an average American greeting, would you say? I don't know. Sup. Sup. <laughs> what's up? <laughs> Going back a ways. I do love the 90s, but that was a dark spot. <laughs> There were many, as there are in every decade. So, Sup. Happy Speedway Coffee to you all. Contains hot. Indeed. Is uh, that the Guatemalan blend? It was dark roast. Ah, okay. Which was my nickname in high school. I'm pretty sure that's one that was not your nickname in high school. <laughs> Might have been breakfast blend, light roast. But uh, Larry's not white. He's clear. He's clear. Oh gosh. As, as you, is my hair. So your hair is clear. <laughs> so it's actually a full head. You just can't see it. Oh, technology. Nice. Hi, everybody. Hello. You gotta laugh Hello. at yourself, <laughs> but not according to Joel Host. <laughs> oh no. You have to be careful. Oh golly. Good times on a Tuesday morning. I did chuckle when Vody Bauckham referred to him as Smiling Joel. Smiling Joel? Smiling Joel. He does. He's a very toothsome man. Brother has a smile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 50,000 megawatts right there. Toothy grin on that one. It is true. How are you? I am perplexed at the lack of depth in the preaching in many pulpits, including those that are very popular, like Smiling Joel's. And I'm not here to to bash... uh, him or any other individual preacher, but my lament is for the state of the church <clears throat> at large in that we lack depth, we lack gravity and weight. and We have the single most central truth, the most important message in all of the world, and we focus it on lightweight, pathetic fluff more often than not. And uh, this was not the direction we thought we were going, was it? The, you know, no, we're, but we're I'm glad you're having a nice, into comfortable it. conversation before. But we, we don't need to have comfortable but, conversations. You know, uh, having spent a significant chunk of my life in Christian bookstores, as a as a huge uh, fan of uh, of Christian, can I say a fan of Christian culture? That sounds very very shallow, but um, I get what you mean. You know having loved Christian music and Christian books and so on and, and worked in Christian retail for the better part of the 90s. Um, I am perplexed when I see that the majority, and I don't think I'm exaggerating at all when I say the majority of books in your top sellers year in and year out are at best unhelpful and very often harmful or even heretical and we don't even know it because we don't have the depth of understanding to be able to smell a rat when there is one and so when we are hearing messages that are telling us that people are basically good we think that's a good thing Mm -hmm. rather than a lie from the pit of hell which is what it is so when we when we hear messages that say 99 percent of people i mean they they they're not bad people. They're good people. They just make bad choices. We have have some, you know, mistakes. Well, that's the opposite of what we see in the scripture. When uh, Isaiah, Paul, all through the the prophets, uh, even speaking of Israel and, and you know the message of Christ and John the Baptist is constantly repent. 
well, if we're not sinners, then we don't have to repent. There's, you know, we're not called to repent of tripping and falling on the sidewalk. Right. That that's a mistake. That, that's an right. accident. That's not what we're talking Made an about. <laughs> Hello, lady. Um, in case my sister happens to be listening, I will not make any mocking references to you at all today. Today. And I will repent later of my dishonesty. So just a joke. Just a joke. Just a joke, people. We don't consciously sin. Oh, now we sin. just adjusted the levels on here, and you probably <laughs> just ruined blew it. Up. Just blew it up. <laughs> so uh, just the, the reality that we are sinners. We are dead in our sins, every single one of us. Uh, we don't seek God. It's not in us to seek God. We don't submit to God. We need salvation. We don't need therapy. We don't need uh, to fix our sickness. We need a resurrection because Jesus died in our place and gave us his life in his place. And this is, this is such a, it's a pervasive, ubiquitous problem in the church that is so widespread that we don't even recognize it. And then it manifests itself in, in you know, Things like uh, prosperity teaching, we often refer to it as the this prosperity gospel that's out there among these other false teachers. But I'm increasingly convinced that it is pervasive throughout even conservative churches, where we are so um, we are so interested in a a, a Western civilized uh, Americanized gospel that it just um, just guts it eviscerates entirely any sense of a biblical gospel that uh, that you take the scriptures and you throw it out and, and you start over with what sounds good, with what feels good, so that you stand up with Oprah and uh, and have the, this great uh, call and response of I am, it reminds me of Stuart Smalley from uh, Saturday Night Live, uh, you know, that we're good enough and strong enough and doggone it, people like us, rather than that we are at enmity with God and friendship with the world is always enmity with God according to the scriptures and because of the fact that we don't actually put the effort into hard growth we don't put down deep roots and we end up being tossed around and, and blown about and it is absolutely heartbreaking uh, and I, I have to watch it myself as well as, as uh, one who is called to proclaim the gospel, it is easy at times to dumb it down, to um, to sanitize it and make it palatable, uh, rather than calling out individuals or or all of us together and say, "Look, this is sin. Mm-hmm. This isn't just well, you know, you should do better. You know, you can make better choices." Well, of course that's true. Duh, that's always true. But it's sin. It is rebellion against God. It is rebellion against the created order very often. Uh, it, and there's a difference, as, as Paul points out in Romans 1, between natural and unnatural sins. There are sins that are innately uh, rebellious, not only against the creator himself, but against even the, the natural created order. So we're rebelling even against our flesh, which is uh, that much more... Uh, bizarre, and not not that it's more of a sin, but it's more of a symptom. As we, you know, the, as I look at Romans one in particular, when we see things like uh, homosexuality and so on, we're seeing signs of a society, of a church, of of, um, of a body that has given itself over 
to ungodliness. And when those things happen, where we not only, and, and it sort of culminates at the end, that the worst part is not just that you're doing these things, but that you're actually promoting and condoning these things. When, when we see that among especially those who call themselves the church, we have gone to a new level mm. of wickedness. And that's, you know, that's what the Bible teaches. And we don't like to say that because it's unpopular. And then people will protest us and we'll be uh, persecuted in a thousand subtle ways and some not so subtle ways. Uh, so we would rather go along to get along and be nice. And if we can all just be nice and we can all just coexist as the horrific and heretical bumper sticker says, uh, I, I think I've mentioned heresy at least twice so far in the podcast, and we're just getting guard going. Um, but the reason heresy happens in the church is because we have shallow and humanistic roots rather than deep and biblical roots, and we need to do better. Is it, do you so think, no, no big pop culture talk to get us started in a lightweight, it's a coming. lighthearted way it's of coming. having fun. So. Um, do you think it is safe to say that... People want to say all the time that things are getting worse. It's, it's, I, I, I'm going to stick with American culture, Western culture, because that's what I know. Um, people want to say that things are getting worse, and some people argue that things are just cyclical. Um, and I think they are, to an extent, pretty cyclical. But if you look, if you, if you take the biblical aspect out of it for a moment and you look at other things as far as how the generations in this country have evolved... You, you get the, going back to the, the baby boomer generation. Their parents were very strict. So the baby boomer generation was a little easier on their kids because they didn't want them to have the same experience that they did. Then it, I feel like everyone's getting a little bit easier on their next generation. Hmm. And I don't see that going back to where it was. And I'm not saying everything that, you know, the Depression era generation did was right. But I, but I feel like people... Without you know criticizing them, I feel like people are generally getting softer in the yeah. way they approach almost everything, and I think yeah. there's a time and place for that. But I don't see it backing up at any level. I think things are just going to keep getting. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. Everything's okay, and everything is accepted. And you know, let's not make waves. And everything is gentle and kind. And I get that. It's very comforting. It's nice. Um, but that's also kind of scary to me when you bring the biblical aspect back into it because, you know, this, I guess maybe my generation and beyond, I feel like we're just continuously getting more accepting of everything. And if you bring up, you know, one minor thing that goes against comfort or feel good, whatever, then like you just said, you're, you're kind of persecuted for that and, and you're seen in a different way. And I, I guess I don't see that cycling back around to anything close to where it used to be. And that's, Man, the, you that's just got the, like six podcasts worth of content into that, that one little paragraph there. You, there's so much well, there to is, deal but with I'm just, what you said. Cause there, there's a lot of depth to it that, hey. um, there's okay. So I, I'm going to try not to <laughs> drop the ball and miss a lot of these things. Cause you, you covered a lot of ground in it just to, I'm a just rambler. a short uh, amount of words, you know. So in, in, it, it was a fairly concise and yet um, epically broad um, point that you just made. So let me start with taking the biblical aspect out. And I want to 
say, I don't think you can. I don't think it's possible mm-hmm. because um, everything, everything is, is a theological and discipleship issue. Everything is a biblical issue because the God of the Bible is the God of creation. Sure, so right. all things come back to that. We don't usually see the connection. So I think part of the problem tends to be in general that we that we think we're taking a biblical aspect out. We think we're looking at things from a um, uh, from a an, an objective. I think we like to say objective, and it's horrifically not. Um, apparently, that's my favorite word today. Uh, we, we we try in this secular perspective, and as we do that, then we end up with um, a world of repercussions from trying to see what is innately and inherently uh, theological from a humanist perspective that that as if we can separate uh, God's word from the rest of things. And so I think that's part of the issue. Uh, not, not that I don't see what, what you're saying right. with that, but from a sociological perspective and looking at, at the culture. But I think that's part of the problem is, is we... We have generations of doing things from a human morality, right. uh, human wisdom uh, perspective without the foundation mm-hmm. of the scripture. And, and so when we it. don't maybe. have the reasons right. why, right. then kids grow up. And there's this great backlash right now that we see in, in all this deconstructionist movement uh, of people saying, oh, I was harmed by 90s purity culture. 90s purity culture was so harmful. Uh, and if you're not familiar with 90s purity culture, that uh, was taking place in the 90s. It's actually been 2,000 years of church history. But, you know, in the 90s, uh, youth pastors saying, you know, don't have sex until you're married. And if you stay away from sexual impurity, then God will bless you later on. And so now people are saying, well, that's just not true. We find that this is a harmful thing, uh, none of which is, is actually valid thinking, but when we perceive harm, we want a place to put the blame for that harm. Mm -hmm. And so if things don't work out the way we in our flawed mentality think they should, it's got to be somebody's fault. So I want to blame my youth pastor and 90s purity culture, uh, which is a fallacy to begin with. Because as I said, this has been the historic teaching of the church. So in understanding what God says about family and sexuality and and marriage, then we have a foundation, we have an understanding of, of why things are the way they are, why they work the way they work, why the church teaches the wisdom that it teaches, and the fact that it is not bound by time, but is actually eternal wisdom. Apart from that, when we separate from those things, then we start to look at it all from a humanist perspective. And we start to justify based on secular psychology and sociology. Well, you know, it's people had a lot of guilt because of their sin. Well, the answer isn't then to remove the rules. The answer is to remove the sin. So we, we want to say, well, just stop telling people that they're bad. Tell them that, you know, we want to boost their self-esteem. We've been doing that for longer than I've been alive, and it has failed miserably at every turn. This isn't about how human understanding can spin things to make us feel better, but about aligning our thinking with the reality of God. 
And when we get our thinking aligned with reality, then our actions, our behaviors are changed. And when our behaviors are changed, then our feelings will follow because the consequences of our actions are changed. So there's a very real sense that not in any way denying God's sovereignty, but there's a very real sense in which it all turns at, at every point, my choices determine my destiny. Mm-hmm. That's, there's no way around that. So when I choose to do things my way instead of God's way, when I choose to, to lean on my own understanding instead of trusting God with all my heart, then I can't expect for God to bless me in the ways that he promises. So we want to claim promises of God without the conditions of God. This is a major, major problem. And we see this in the, in the prosperity mentality that says God wants to bless me, but God wants to bless me as I define blessing, mm-hmm. not as he does. And God absolutely wants to, to bless his children. But our blessing from God and our happiness in our circumstances are not the same thing. Right. So God is not primarily concerned with our happiness in a temporal sense. He is primarily concerned with us in a relationship with him to know him to glorify him to enjoy him forever so to to borrow from john piper's christian hedonist ideas the our highest pleasure ultimately is not what gives us pleasure now but what gives us pleasure for eternity and to find ourselves in christ and to find the pleasures of heaven it's, it's a far greater pleasure both now and later by delaying gratification beyond the moment to recognize that this sin has pleasure for a season. I mean, that's the reality of it. Otherwise, it wouldn't really be temptation. Nobody's te- tempted to drink castor oil. It's like, oh, wow, I want to I get some castor oil. That's delicious. You're too young to even know what that is, probably. Oh, so your, your, your grandparents. Except, except the people on like My Strange Addiction or whatever that are eating. Yeah. Uh, but uh, to have some drug that alters my, right. my mentality, oh, that's a temptation because there's a, a, at least a temporary pleasure. It causes me to, to escape, to, to feel things that I'm not able to feel otherwise, uh, to, you know, to overeat, a temptation I wrestle with regularly. Uh, things taste good and I like to eat them. And so the, the temptation uh, to eat more than I should or to eat things that I should not there is at least a temporary pleasure there. Mm-hmm. So when I begin to realize that what I really want, what I want most, has a, a greater impact than what I want now in the moment, that's when I begin to change. So when coming back to that, that whole idea of uh, the, the biblical aspect, I'm reminded of a quote, I think it's from Abraham Kuyper that Chuck Colson was very fond of, that there's not one square inch of creation over which Jesus Christ does not cry mine. Right. He, he has ownership of all things. So all things are biblical. We need to make sure that, that we don't forget that. And I think that's part of the problem in the church is we have, we have allowed ourselves for too long to define reality according to secular principles mm. rather than biblical principles, which brings me back to the the is it getting worse idea and i think the, the i mean that's problem, a big question i don't mean to well it, it, it is but, but it's but. such a, a pertinent question 
um, and, and people have taken different perspectives on that. I'm not over trying the to years. be the bell ringer saying the end is near in the street, but well, I think we need to be. <laughs> you know, I think we're called to that. That uh, that was the first message that Jesus had. You know, we see him speaking in the Book of Mark, and he's coming out, uh, and 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 as he's coming, he's saying the the kingdom is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and receive the good news. Now. Be saved in this, because if you don't. You're going to experience the bad news that you're already a part of. You are already, as it said in John 3, you're already condemned. Right. You stand condemned already. That's uh, Paul points this out. This is our natural state. We are by nature objects of God's wrath. It goes back to that TikTok, that guy saying God doesn't send people to hell. We were already on our way there. Right, yeah. Right. So he saves some. Right. Um, but as we're talking about the worst... That's a comparative idea. Mm. So it, what do we mean by worse? Worse than yesterday? Worse than ever? Worse than our lifetime? In, in Western culture, I think we have this idealistic <clears throat> notion of like 1950 or, you know, whatever. And, and I think yeah, that's... There's, and there's, there's good and bad in, in all of it. And if you look at it, I think humanity, uh, since the flood, mm. is getting worse. And we're, we're seeing some, you know, there are times when we... Uh, see revival or awakenings that that um, draw us back to God, and we stem the tide for a while, uh, but we don't remain there. And mm-hmm. humanity in general, th- those things only apply to the church, and then the right. impact that the church has as salt and light in the world. Uh, you look at enlightenment values. Enlightenment values, um, to the extent that they happen apart from uh, from the salt and light of the church, have brought more harm than good, I would contend. That's a whole other conversation for another time. But I think that in its in its humanistic perspective and saying that that we are basically good and we can do good apart from God, we don't need God or, or religion as we would often define it. We don't need that. We don't need him. That's more harmful than beneficial. And it's enlightenment values that that brought about things like the United States of America. We wouldn't exist apart from that. Mm-hmm. But it's also um, the influence of Christianity that allowed for enlightenment values to come about. They're not strictly uh, Platonic or Aristotelian. They, these are things that come out of uh, uh, sort of a syncretism of old Greek philosophy and and the the new birth of, of New Testament Christianity. But the idea of being worse, it depends on your perspective. It depends on where right. you are. I guess we're, like we're, racism right now, well. it, we're, we're talking about race more than ever. Right. So we are a more racially divided nation now than we were in 2007. Hmm. We are more racially divided now than maybe at any time in my, well, for sure in my adult life. You know, we, you look back at like the... Um, the LA riots and the Rodney King and, and so on and there were there was definitely um, there's never been a time when we don't have uh, race issues mm-hmm. uh, right now it's at the forefront because we we've, we've seen uh, critical race theory growing out of Marxist critical theory uh, we've seen this promoted so thoroughly so completely through our society uh, that it it fosters and foments a um, 
I have a visual in my mind, and I, I don't know that I can convey it well, but there's this bubbling cauldron of hate just waiting for some outlet, you know, mm. for us to, to and do it. And it's not, I don't think it's just racism. It's, it's, no, it's not. It's, That's just one example. But, well, I'm, I'm, go ahead. But, you know, in, in talking about the getting worse part, so that is is worse in some ways than it was, you sure. know, in, in 2007, 2008, when we had, um, we were certainly never without Racism. Right. There will always be racism and gender, uh, sexism. We're going to have all all these different um, earthbound Isms. divisions as long as there are sinful humans on the earth. That's right. going to be reality. But systemic type things have been uh, brought to the fore. It's not that that they're ever completely wiped out because we don't have a perfect system, but it's not what it was. So is systemic racism in America better than it was in 1950? Well, yeah, for sure. Uh, because you don't have Jim Crow laws on the books. You still have, you know, you still have some fallout from some of those things. That's not surprising. But we have consciously eradicated uh, laws that, that uh, promote that. Is it better to be a black person in America? Let's let's make it more specific. Is it a better better to be a black person in Alabama in 2021 than it was in say 1855? Well, cha, of course it is. Does that mean it's it, everything's it's, okay? Nothing. Right. Else, no, that, no, it's not. <laughs> uh, does does that mean that there aren't experiences that uh, that our black brothers and sisters might have uh, that are just not able that that white folks can't relate to at all probably depending on where you are and 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 what it's like and that's true with every single difference earthly difference that we have you know there are experiences that i have as a man that you can't have as a woman that you have as a woman that i can't have as a man that you have as a single mother that i will never have as a married father of five it's not the same we have a lot of shared things we have a lot of different things and we need to stop letting those things divide us because that comes from our earthbound thinking which is tied to our shallow roots buy the world a coke well well and, and honestly uh, that we've had that mentality for so long that you know if we could just all get along, we could just all you know sing sing a song and you know going back to my Sesame Street days. Yeah, and do all these things, and and there's a sense in which there's some truth to that because every lie has a kernel of truth to be effective. But it has to be more. If we don't have unity based on reality, based on truth, then it, it's it's a false unity. If we all get along because we don't talk about anything meaningful, mm. well, then we we don't have we may have peace in the absence of conflict, but we don't have peace in the sense of harmony because we're not actually participating right. together in life. And then I'd like to snowball off my initial question. And put the Bible back. We still got like forty things for the initial question. Put the about. Bible back into it for the sake of this argument. We're not arguing. Um, do you think, kind of, you know, teetering off of that, that it is more difficult today? Because you said it yourself. You know, whether it was the the Enlightenment era or, or whatever, this country was founded, I would say, mostly by men who who saw that vision for, mm-hmm. for what we were going to go forward on. And that was kind of the norm for a long period of time. And somewhere along the line, and I, don't, I can't tell you if it happened slowly or quickly, uh, 
Christians or people who claim to be Christians, I feel like now, today, are kind of the butt of the joke in many cases. I, I feel yeah, like... Yeah, I don't think that's new, though. I, I think that's always been the but case. But it feels like our values... And I'm not saying that the all the men that started this country are, you know, upstanding citizens because they did a lot of stuff. But uh, it feels like our, our, our values have shifted and now those things that this country was founded on are almost laughable to some people. And, mm. and Christians are automatically associated with... Uh, radical conservatism or or this group or this group or this group. That, Another relative term when we're talking about those well, kinds right. of things. I'm, but I'm what just is, saying, like, let's separate. Right, different exactly. than what it was 30, 20 years but ago. But I feel like Christians have been tagged as on all these other groups that people don't like, whether it's, you know, extreme right wing or yeah. Because we conflate a lot of these things. Right. So or we look at conservative groups, right. and everybody that's conservative under a particular label at some point means that you all think the same. Right. And, that, and that's, there's a huge difference between biblical conservatism, that we take a conservative view of the Bible and understanding that, that it is to be preserved, not, uh, not upgraded, if you will. It's mm. not a living document, but it says what God intends it to say. There's a difference between biblical and theological conservatism and political. They're not the right. same thing. And so we, as a society, tend to lump it all together. Yes. So then we talk about white Christian nationalism. Right. Those those are or, d- very disparate ideas yes, they are. that we've put together. Or when and, somebody looks at me or has a conversation with me, and I'm you know I'm on this podcast, or I they know what church I go to, or whatever. They just know that I I follow Jesus. They automatically look at me and assume she hates gay people. She right. has this. She she you know is a is a huge Trump supporter. She did this. She did that. You know, it's so many assumptions. And so what that makes it difficult to do then, as a Christ follower, is she's Team Lucas. I am Team Lucas, and I don't know if that has anything to do with my biblical standpoint. Nothing, but nothing uh, at all. Except he's just so good. Uh, <laughs> um, but they automatically look at me and and think all these things about me without even getting, really getting to know me. And everybody does it about everybody, whether it's you know religion or whatever. But then While that blaming makes, everybody else for doing right, it. Right, but what that does is it makes it very difficult as a Christ follower to feel comfortable sharing your beliefs, sharing yeah. the gospel, without feeling like this person thinks that I'm nuts. <laughs> so I, I think you've hit on, on something I really want to make sure we get in today. And, and in the that, last, well, we're over time. And that's <laughs> and, and just like that. Uh, I'm sorry, good, we're out of time. Good night, everybody. Uh, anyway, um, you, you, we probably should do a whole other podcast on this. But, you know, as, this went by fast. As you're talking about that, uh, I think part of our problem and what makes it so uncomfortable is we as the church have allowed ourselves to become reactionary mm. so we are responding to the narrative of the world rather than carrying forth the narrative of the scriptures and so if we deepen our roots if we stop looking at what the world's argument is and then trying to figure out how to respond to that which inevitably leads to i believe and, and you know i could probably be convinced i'm wrong on this but it would take some work um Email I, him. I think it, it. I think it's virtually inevitable that when we are responding in that way, what what are the arguments that we disagree with, and then we come up, we fall into a proof text kind of faith. We we, we do the same kinds of things as choosing. the cults, right? Rather than saying, 
I don't care what the world thinks. Right. What does God say? What, what is the reality of the created order? What, how did the creator, the designer, design it to work? And how do I know that? Yeah. Oh, he gave me a book. So what does the book say? So as we work through that and we put our roots deep into God's word so that we continue to live in the grace by which we received Christ, in the faith by which we took hold of that grace, and, and then we walk that out, living lives that are rooted and built up in Christ, then our attitudes change, our approach changes, uh, we're no longer trying to win an argument, but by loving people, we speak truth. So we, we don't avoid reality, and we don't try to win a religious or political or sociological argument. We say, like Martin Luther, and maybe he said it, maybe he didn't, but the concept still remains, here I stand, I can do no other. Mm. Uh, unless I'm convinced by Scripture and plain reason that that this is not so, then I'm going to stand here. And I'm not going to be cowed by the pressures of society because I stand with God. And, and if this is real, well then how could I hedge on what is real to appease what is fantastical in the minds of, of my peers? So if I, if I put down deep roots, and, and we talked on Sunday, but that, that is essential to life in Christ. If we're going to walk worthy of our calling, then we got to get some depth. we got to get some deep roots. Otherwise, we're tossed around, right? So, you know, we're like the ungodly who are like chaff that the wind drives away. And too much of our Christian framework has been nothing more than a Christianized secular mentality. There was a book a while back, I didn't read it, but I read some excerpts from it, uh, talking about uh, Christian atheism or the Christian atheist, that we we claim Christ, but we live mm. as if there is no God. We, we approach things really no different than the world. We just put different labels on it. Well, that's not acceptable. That's not, we could have the most prominent, uh, most influential church ever, like the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, or the the quiet, frozen chosen of the the 50s and 60s, where everybody was a Christian, or so they would say. Everybody right. would claim that, uh, but nobody would talk about it. And we right. wouldn't talk about anything that was deep or controversial. We don't deal with doctrine. We don't deal with things that, that stir the pot uh, in polite society. Mm -hmm. So there were some fantastic things happening uh, you know, in, in various places and at various times during, these, during all of these eras. But when Christianity becomes the norm, the way of the world, and we're not a persecuted minority, then what tends to happen is we get comfortable mm -hmm. and then fake Christians come in. When it's cool to be a Christ follower, then everybody's going to follow Christ, at least as long as it becomes cool, as long as it stays cool. But when you are you know, ostracized for being a Jesus freak, which somewhere along the line we, we took as a badge of honor, and I'm proud of that, but the reality is that was a derogatory term. Christian was originally a derogatory term. So when you come up with all, all, all these different um, ways of making it miserable, I was just talking with uh, uh, our, our new friend Dan, uh, Farmer Dan. If, JD or Dan, if you're listening, hello. So uh, Farmer Dan grew up in Romania under Ceausescu and, in the communist regime, and it was a horrible situation. And uh, so you 
did not find a popular Christianity in the Soviet bloc or, or you know when when atheism was was expected and required uh, now uh, uh, as an adult um, having traveled and worked in the Middle East it was telling me about a church uh, met in a cave and the uber drivers wouldn't take them there because if I go there as an uber driver just I don't even have to be a part of it but being associated with it it could cost me everything it cost me my family it could cost me my my job it could cost me my life and so no I won't do it hmm. So when you have that kind of a life, there's no room for phonies and frauds. Right. There's no room for the, the comfortable, polite Christianity that, that says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but let's not talk about religion. You know, it's either all in or it's not in at all. And so in that sense, I think we as an American church are worse off in many ways than we have been um, the same but worse because we are at a place where it has become so comfortable and easy that the institutions of the church, not the true church, but the institutions, uh, many folks, denominations, congregations, pastors who declare themselves to be part of Christ, who stand 100% opposite of Christ, promoting that which God condemns, telling people that sexual immorality, whether heterosexual or, or homosexual or transsexual, that all of these disordered behaviors, that this is okay. When the Bible says specifically, these things will not enter heaven. You cannot participate in this and be a Christian. But instead, we're selling books in Christian bookstores about the gay Christian and how to be Christian and gay, all these different, different things. Um, it's equivalent to saying how to be the Christian, Christian adulterer or the Christian murderer or thief or gossip or anything else. It's not acceptable to God. And if we act like it is, then we are not loving. So we have to be willing not, not to go out and, and bang our particular denominational drum and, and you know, pound on one particular sin over another. But all sin has to be dealt with and is only going to be dealt with apart from, uh, it's only going to be dealt with through death and judgment. There mm -hmm. is no other way. So you either will face death and judgment because of your sin, any sin, all sin, or Christ has faced that judgment and death for you. And if, you're, if you are in Christ, having received him by faith, then by God's grace, he imputes that righteousness to you. Your sin is imputed to him on the cross, and his righteousness is imputed to you. And there is no other hope. There is no self-esteem. There is no you know, uh, popularity or good deed-doing or prosperity or anything else that will matter when it all is said and done. And we, as the church, are going to continue to be tossed around on the, the winds and waves of every uh, current false charming doctrine that's out there because it feels good or it sounds good or we've been uh, convinced by sociological studies until we put down deep roots so that we become mature and complete and stable 
and, and we're then together as the body of Christ building one another up so that we look more and more like Jesus. And uh, I, don't, I wanted to read it earlier. We're over time, so I won't. But uh, anybody listening should, should look at Psalm 1. And, and the psalmist shows us the clear difference between the ungodly, the, the one who goes along with sinners, who, who <clears throat> um, hangs out with mockers and scornful people. When you participate in that worldliness, uh, you are ungodly and wicked according to the Lord. But the godly, the righteous one, who meditates day and night on the word of God, puts down deep roots, becomes like a tree planted by rivers of water, brings forth fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither. This is a, a powerful contrast that we need to take hold of in the church today where it's not a matter of, hey, I listened to a podcast today, or, you know, or even I did my daily devotion from my little one-page reading that I do. Uh, I need to wrestle with the deep things of God. I need to, to you know, to, if, if I could borrow uh, from the, the garden in our Lord's Prayer, we need to sweat great drops of blood. We can't even contemplate that. Right. You know, most of us have never prayed so hard that, that you get a stomach ache and, and you shed tears and you sweat, let alone to be where Jesus was in the torment that he faced at that time. Now, none of us are going to the cross either in the same way, not for the sins of the world. But, <clears throat> um, but until we are just torn apart with the gravity of the situation, we cannot get past a certain level of maturity. And because our faith, so-called, has been so easy for mm-hmm. us, our roots, unchallenged as they are, don't go deeper. No pain, and no gain. That's absolutely right. There's no discipleship apart from suffering. We cannot grow without pain. So. We will stop there because we're way over. But, yeah, I feel like there's endless stuff to yeah, talk we, about here. We didn't so. even get into whether I history know. is linear or cyclical. So. <laughs> uh, but we will stop there regardless because this is supposed to be a 30-minute podcast. We might need to change. No. <laughs> uh, That's our rule, right? So, yeah, we made that So up. then if we there are violate no rules. that rule, then we're not really violating the rule. Put your shirt back on. Um, I will always keep my shirt on. Thank you. And we will see you guys next time. Rich just went out of frame for the last shot of the day. And uh, yeah. Not, oh, Not out of the audio frame. Not out of the audio frame for all you ASMR fans. Um, now he's doing the thing with his coffee cup, so that'll be even better for you. I will say how you can contact us before I say adieu. Um, <laughs> before I do anything else dumb? Right. Uh, you can email us at something real at reallifeonline.org. You she can almost felt bad for saying yes. What? Uh, you can uh, leave us a message or comment on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, or feel free to leave us a voicemail either on the Anchor app or uh, by giving us a call at 269-756-RLCC. And if you are... Uh, listening to this or watching it on any platform, feel free to uh, share it, uh, give it a like or a five-star rating on uh, iTunes if that's your particular platform. And, uh, I forget, did you give the Something Real email? Yeah, I did. Okay. I did, but I'll give it again. Something awesome. Real at reallifeonline.org. Don't, or you can email Sweet. Rich personally with all your grievances. So, I can do that. Uh, I won't give him your email address, though. So you have to then it'll be hard. look that out. I'll look that up on your own. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Do you have any parting words? Team Lucas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, 
just get deep. You know, let's not waste time because there's no point the in following near. Christ if we're just if we're not actually following Christ. If we're just following religion and uh, going the way of the world, let's let's grow mature. Let's work together as a body, as a team, uh, as the church, so that we build one another up and we grow up into Him who is our head. We will stop there. Thank you guys for listening. We will catch you next week.